I've never seen anyone swallow a coat hanger. Um, so how did that come about? Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh. There, there's, a, there's a lot of firsts that I'm finding here with you, Mercer, which is wonderful, <laughs> which is what I want from this show. Um, so you are providing in abundance. Maybe if you don't want to talk, you could just listen. What is happening? I am Al Foster and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favourite above average but infinitely curious podcast, Dimed Out. A show dedicated to exploring both the mysteries and the meaning of life. It is season four, it is episode uh, six. Yep, that's right, episode six. It is a guest week and this week our guest is... Mercer Blackwell. Mercer is a TikTok personality who tells personal anecdotes and dives into very fascinating parts of culture and history. He is an autodidactic individual who learns a lot of different things and shares them with people, a lot of strange and curious and lesser known, obscure things. But the thing that is more fascinating to me, at least, is hopefully something that is going to be extremely fascinating to you as well. Outside of that... Mercer is a bizarrist. That is his bread and butter. Now, if you're wondering, Mal, what the hell is a bizarrist? Don't worry, because we are going to cover exactly what it is in this episode. By the end of it, you will know what a bizarrist is. I didn't know what one was until I discovered Mercer. I saw what he was doing, um, not just on the TikTok, but what he was doing with the bizarrism, and was like, I need to speak to this man. Because that right there is a very fascinating, curious fella. Now, I'm not going to give too much away here. I'm not going to get into spoilers for this episode. That would be really stupid for me to spoil my own podcast. But I do feel compelled to provide what I'm calling a gippy warning. There are things in this episode that I discuss with Mercer which may make you feel gippy or even have you uh, talk long distance on the porcelain telephone to God. Yeah. There are things in here which may make you feel a bit queasy or even make you actually sick. I mean, I guess it all depends on your threshold and how much you can take. It's not that bad, but I just feel <laughs> I just feel compelled to give a gippy warning because we are talking about things being inserted into places, uh, things happening inside of stomachs and things being swallowed to give you a sort of broad overview. So, yeah, consider yourself uh, gippy warned. Gippy warning, well and truly handed out, so you can't say I didn't. I didn't tell you beforehand. Anyway, I don't think it's going to be that bad, but you know, I just, I just like to be fair. Um, before we dive into that, before we kind of really get into uh, our conversation with Mercer in typical fashion, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, then I highly recommend at some point you do go and check that out. It details my experience, my first experience in a rage room where I was uh, inside of a room by myself for 30 minutes with plenty of rage, a, a selection of weapons, and some shitty Christmas crockery. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's what we're dubbing an experience episode, where I go and do something and come back, talk about it, how it was, and how it made me feel, if you're interested in that sort of thing. 
Anyway, that was last week. This is this week. And without wasting any more time, let's get into it. This is my chat with the thoroughly lovely and fascinating Mercer Blackwell. For me, and hopefully this is the case with um, a number of people listening, I hadn't actually come across the term bizarrist until I encountered you. So that's already a first. Oh. Um, how exactly for, for us laymans, for us, for us who are just coming to this for the first time, how exactly would you describe a bizarrist? What is a bizarrist? So um, a bizarrist is somebody who does really a variety of, of acts. And so when I, I encountered the term, I was doing straitjacket escapes and sword swallowing and magic at the time. And there wasn't really a term in magic to, to sort mm. of encompass all of those things. I wasn't a sideshow artist because I, I did more than uh, hurt myself or do a stunt. Right. Um, but I wasn't a magician because I, you know, I did things that were verifiably real. Mm. Um, so coming to those things and you know there's mentalists too so every yeah. magic flavor has a has a term to me it seems like it's kind of and i mean correct me if i'm wrong again because i'm coming at this from a, a layman's point of view it kind of seems like it crosses over into performance art a little bit yeah certainly it uh it, it definitely does so part of i think at the base of what I do, you know, before bizarreism is, is art. You know, I, mm-hmm. a lot of the, the things that I decide to put in my show or decide to develop are largely motivated by sort of the artistic vision or like what the emotions or feelings or aesthetics mm-hmm. I want involved. So, and then, you know, the, the bizarre part of it sort of falls into place for me. The, the word bizarre is, is kind of apropos because <laughs> coming into this again completely on the on the ground level there's some some yeah. pretty strange and bizarre stuff. You mentioned swallowing swords. I've also seen that you swallow coat hangers as well uh, as well as nailing stuff. Like, let's kind of just run through quickly some other stuff. So we've got swallowing swords, swallowing coat hangers which we'll get to in a second because that is something I really kind of want to dive into. Um, especially with your challenge that you put out via TikTok, which is something else we'll kind of dig into. Um, You mentioned escape jackets, um, Mm -hmm. straight jackets. That's right. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what an escape jacket is. Something that (laughs) that eventually becomes the the end product of a straight jacket, I guess. Um, What else could people expect to see from you in terms of uh, illusions, stunts, performance pieces? I don't know what you want to call the feats um, that you perform in, in your live shows. So my show primarily consists of, we have, of course, the, the sword swallowing. There is fire eating that I also do. Um, I, you know, read mine. So I, one of the artistic things that I, I do is I have somebody is thinking of a, um, uh, a movie monster, you know, Pennywise or, okay. or Slenderman or Leatherface, whoever. And uh, I, on stage, cut out their portrait in a piece of paper um, with a pair of scissors. So, and then they get to keep that with them. Oh, okay. Um, yes. As a souvenir another, of sorts. Yeah, yeah. I Another like big tenet of my shows is, is souvenirs. Like I love the idea of like giving stuff away or like having like a special thing. And um, to that end, one of the effects I developed, I don't know if you uh, heard this, but I, I'm a regurgitator. So I did catch that in passing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's somebody. Um, so if your audience doesn't know, it's somebody that can swallow items and then bring them back up. 
Well, and yeah. so um, I've learned, I've been developing this for several years. And something in my show that I do is I'm able to paint pictures inside my stomach. Yeah, I was going to ask, that was in my notes, because that I, I, I saw that and that just really snagged my attention. I was like, what the hell? So how yeah. does that work? Um, so I have a, I swallow white paint. It's uh, non-toxic. Okay. And then I swallow a black marble. Um, mm. It's about the size of a little larger than like a quarter, maybe. And so what I'm able to do is, is roll the ball inside my stomach to, uh, to create a pattern on it. And then I'm able to, to regurgitate it into a picture. You know, I'm mm. able to paint a picture and then bring it back up. So it's not a purposeful, like, it's not like someone says, paint me um, a barnyard with a sunset. Well, <laughs> I can do all 52 cards. Um, what? So, yeah. So I normally, I, because it's such a, uh, it's a weird routine. So like, yeah. I, I use cards, um, uh -huh. so I, I hand somebody a deck of cards and they, they can pick whatever one they want. I swallow the ball, they show me the card and then I paint it and then that's a souvenir for them. I have these little cases that the ball goes into and then they can keep it. How the hell do you do that? The the case or the yeah no 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 like actually like deliberately painting a card. Um, there's a so there's like an a sphincter. I, I mean, like <laughs> before we dive <laughs> any further into sphincters, if this is at risk of giving away any sort of magical secrets, uh, you mm. can divert because I don't I don't want to give away the, the the sort of trick of the trade, as it were, pun intended, sure. I guess. Um. Anyway, then I guess. <laughs> we'll we'll leave it at, at this um i i have been able to regurgitate since i was maybe 15 okay um and it I, it has taken every bit of this maybe 10 or 11 years to develop this act mm -hmm. so and that's uh that's what i can say about it <laughs> okay all right okay okay i think that's good because it's always good to leave as i'm sure you're well aware leave people wanting more leave a little bit to the imagination thank you all right, there you go. Um, so contemplate that, listeners. <laughs> but yeah, the person, uh, after I'm done painting it, the person gets to take the little ball and the card with them home. So that's, that's, the, big, that's the big thing for me. <laughs> yeah, I imagine from a, from a performance standpoint, from your perspective as somebody that is performing for other people, to kind of give them not just a sort of memory of seeing something pretty fucking unique, to be honest, um, but to actually take a sort of tactile thing with them is is quite the the rewarding element of doing the performance in the first place certainly yeah it's um it's always been you know i mean i i do like i imagine uh if you tell your friends i saw this guy you know paints a picture in his stomach you know your friends might not believe you but then right if they, yeah if they see the coat hanger if they see the marble you know that becomes a piece of the story exactly yeah let's kind of dive into the to the coat hangers because this in itself is pretty unique as well I mean I think at some point even just from a passing standpoint even if it's just through sort of pop cultural reference or perhaps in person uh, we've we've kind of seen people swallow swords before I've never seen anyone swallow a coat hanger um so how did that come about really yeah uh okay oh. there, there's a there's a lot of firsts that i'm finding here with you mercer which is wonderful <laughs> which is what i want from this show um so you are providing in abundance good i'm, I'm glad to i'm glad to provide <laughs> it <laughs> when i i taught myself how to swallow coat hangers i taught myself how to swallow swords i did not have a mentor or anybody who was who had that skill mm -hmm. so and this was i was maybe 
14. So we're talking like 2007, 2008. Okay. My resources to learn were the internet. And um, even back then, there wasn't that much information right. on doing it. But something I had read was, you know, if you want to start learning, uh, you get a wire coat hanger and you sort of bend it into a sword shape and start there. Mm. And uh, I, I mean, I, <laughs> who doesn't have a wire coat hanger? So I, I started <laughs> there and it, it took me several months to do. But I, I ultimately ended up teaching myself uh, to do it. And I, you know, I... I've had swords. I have made swords, like professional looking ones. I have hmm. a I have a sword that has a camera mounted on it so that you can like see like from the from the handle's point of view. Um and I always find myself like just I use those and I go back to the coat hangers pretty much every time. Hmm. You've been kind of introducing something, uh, kind of tapping back into to the idea of souvenirs and kind of personalizing in the experience for people coming to see your performances um the what you've dubbed sort of Mercer's challenge um where people bring their own coat hangers to shows so is this kind of stemmed from solidifying to people that this is real that you're not using some sort of stunt prompt or where where did this come from yeah um so I I had a, a teacher in like eighth grade Mr L and I, I, you know, I was doing magic at the time, but I don't know like why this has stuck in my memory, but I recall, you know, some offbeat conversation in class in class where he said that sword swallowing wasn't real. Mm. And um, I didn't know how to do it at the time, but, you know, to him, the sword uh, collapsed in the handle or it rolled up. It was always a trick. Like right. it just, if, and he was so sure he was like, I'm in absolute conviction. I guess you can be sure about anything when you're talking to eighth graders, yeah. but, yeah. but still. Um, and I just remember thinking, there's no way like that this whole, this is not a huge conspiracy. Um, so I ended up learning and Mercer's challenge came about because there were a lot of people like my teacher. Um, I would, I mean, after every single show, people would come up and if they saw me with the professional sword or, or something like that, you know, they always want to either look at it or, I mean, they'll just flat out accuse me of using a fake sword. Mm -hmm. It it never goes away. Um, so the the only time when that, like, the only time when there's like this maximum legitimacy <laughs> um, <laughs> to sword swallowing is when it's at its most simple. Mm. Like everybody can relate to a coat hanger. Right. It's a piece of wire. There's clearly nowhere for it to collapse. And so I, I thought of this idea, like, you know, there are always going to be people who think it's not real, but what if, you know, people could bring their own sword and, uh, and see it for themselves and then they get to keep it. So they know that it's, uh, that it's, it's the, the real Monte Cristo. Yeah. So I came up with Mercer's challenge. <laughs> Just bring your own coat hangers. I'm not going to pay for them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there you go. Exactly. When I do it in the show, I have like, so that they bring up the coat hanger, I fold it in front of them, I swallow it, um, and they get to pull it out. Um, they sort of, they just wrap your finger around the, uh, around the, the handle of the sword, and then they just nice and easy, like Sunday morning, that's usually what I say. Yeah. And um, then I have this long cellophane bag that I kind of slip the whole thing into, and I tie it off, it has a little tag, and it's like Mercer's Challenge, and then it has the date on it, and then they get to keep that. 
Um, so it's sterile, more or less. They don't have to touch the the bits that have been in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure they also appreciate as well as getting the coat hanger back. Surely. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the big question I have for you, to, I mean, there's a, there's a number of big questions and okay. I, I want to kind of try and keep this within a time limit as I do most episodes, but I just, I feel like this could go on for ages. So I'm going to try and be pretty succinct. Um, one of the big questions I have for you is, is how long exactly have you been doing this? You mentioned, uh, I think, 14. And, and the other, the, the real big question for me at the minute, at the front of my mind, is how did you even start doing this? Like, how did you decide like what happened to 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 the point where you're just like this is for me this is what I want to try um yeah you could just walk me through like the initial frame of mind and, and how you found yourself on this very interesting and unique path oh boy <laughs> I have been doing magic since I was six okay I saw a kid's magician you know I think a lot of it you know like a lot of kids mm, sure and um you know I <laughs> he did balloon animals after, I mean, it was, it was a wonderful show. Um, and so I, you know, I think I begged my mom to get me a magic kit. And so she did, and it came on a VHS. Oh boy. And (laughs) I just never looked back. It was just always one of those things that consistently stayed in my life. Um, and then I was maybe 11 when I learned about Harry Houdini, you know, the probably one of the most famous magicians to ever, ever live. And, uh, so I, he did these straitjacket escapes. And so I begged my mom again to, can you please get for my birthday? I want a straitjacket. I want to start doing escapes, you know? And so she, she bought me one and it was, <laughs> I was 12 and it was black jean material, this straitjacket, and it had silver D rings on the back. It was very serious looking. And it was only like years later that she finally admitted that she, had a hard time finding magician straight jackets go figure yeah i was and gonna say that they're not quite that common <laughs> she had a really hard time so she found this ebay store that was selling bdsm gear like snm <laughs> stuff and they had the straight jacket and my mom you know basically was like he's not gonna know the difference so no <laughs> my first straight jacket was from a, a bdsm store on ebay <laughs> that's brilliant wow that that is quite the origin story so you get that and then I, I take it like that just kind of fuels the fire to kind of follow this further this kind of creates more it doesn't sort of uh, scratch that itch but it makes it more prominent where you're just kind of like what else is there that I can do how how can I kind of go yeah, deeper with I, this? Uh, I you could say I fell down the the slippery slope of of magic um <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I got the straight jacket and it didn't stop. Uh, like you were saying, it, it really kindled this uh, love of like performing and just doing crazy things. Um, so, I, you know, I will say around the time that I was doing the straight jackets, like David Blaine was popular. So, and he was doing, mm-hmm. you know, he was doing like, he's standing uh, all the stunts that he was doing, but like that was, I was going to say, it, it, this is his stunt yeah. period. It's like, we'll be on the street magic Exactly, stuff. yeah, where the special was like, all right, he's going to do this stunt and then we're going to throw in this street magic stuff. Um, mm. <laughs> but that, it, it really, um, it directed a lot of the decisions I made with magic. You know, I wanted to be like David Blaine, who didn't. So, um, mm. you know, I saw him do extreme things and I, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to push myself in that same way. And that ended up being straight jacket escapes and, 
fire eating and sword swallowing. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense when you consider the the, the the very real danger elements to some of the stuff you're doing is is that you are kind of pushing yourself. You're kind of seeing how sort of pliable you are mentally and physically as well. Was that always kind of something that once this began to develop, you kind of attached onto is the idea of sort of pushing yourself in those yeah, departments? Yeah, always. Um, I've always had a, a just a just a real drive to to push myself with mm really to to find like a a potential you know to find where the limit is um i was an oarsman for seven years and um it was a very similar kind of mentality um i was in there pretty much Mm -hmm. you know every day and trying to find the the limit the potential is that something that you're still kind of in that mindset is is that something that is still sort of at the core of what you're doing you're kind of looking for new things that can kind of push you in different directions and kind of test your, your as it were, or is that kind of settled a little bit now that you're kind of so far into to doing it after so many years? Are you asking me if I'm old? No, <laughs> come on, Mercy. I've got more tech than that. I'm, I'm probably I'm way older than you anyway. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Um, no, it's it's still there. It, yeah. it expresses itself in different ways. Yeah, um, that's great so... though because that shows an evolution of of your interest and of your execution of doing something. You know, if you kind of had the same motivation. Um, continuously it would show no sense of sort of growth but if it's kind of manifesting in different ways that's 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 brilliant oh certainly yeah it's um all physical all the way to uh to mental um you know kind of uh expanding limits i've got to ask about the physical side of it as well because it's noticed in one of your tiktok videos and we'll kind of dive into that that's its own separate section which i'm curious to kind of um probe about in a bit uh, but in one yeah. of your TikTok videos, you mentioned uh, how you're able to swallow a sword to the point where you can get it to the bottom of your stomach. And you also, I think, mentioned in that same video about how it scrapes. Now, obviously, if you're a bit squeamish, I'll probably throw a disclaimer at the very front of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but definitely, if you're a bit squeamish, you might want to scrub forward a little bit. Um, the, yeah, the, it, the physical pain and the health risks is something that is curious to me. How is that in the sense of like difficulty to kind of endure how much endurance is there with that and has that ever kind of been a deterrence for you to do this you know because for me the idea like just describing what I've described would make sure that I never even attempt what you do in the first (laughs) place so I'm just curious about that like has that been uh, something at the center of what you do is that something you've wanted to overcome has that been something that has kind of become more of a tolerance with practice yeah just kind of talk to me a little bit about that if you would sure um it's a so to to answer the first question about the the swords following yes um so right around like uh maybe 22 inches for the sword wow um, the coat hanger the coat hanger is 18 so it doesn't quite reach it but if you get a sword that's long enough you swallow it all the way and it's yeah, you know when you're you're hungry and your stomach's like rr, 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 inside, mm-hmm. you know, it's it feels like that in one spot where the sword is is poking. Huh. So it's like you're hungry in that one spot. It's a it's hard to describe, um, but it's it's definitely a, a sensation. Um, yeah. The uh, I will say that when the when it scrapes, when the sword coming up or going down scrapes the inside of your chest, Ugh. that's that's probably the worst. Yeah. That's oh, it's just because it it lingers you know it's kind of like um it's kind of like you know stubbing your toe or like hitting yourself in the shin it's just it like it just stays there 
and it just hurts for as long as it feels like it's gonna stay wow <laughs> but um you know you get better and better at, at avoiding it sometimes i mean even now i still uh you know i'll have like a, a bad swallow here and there you mm -hmm. know and it'll just be kind of uncomfortable so uh but insofar as um pain or like you know what it has i mean done to my body um so i mean several things yeah uh, i <laughs> so I, I taught myself how to swallow how to how to eat fire excuse me i taught myself how to eat fire and again because i did not have somebody to help me um, i used all kinds of fuel um, all the way from zippo fuel to naphtha to gasoline Jeez. and uh, as a result i have i have burns on the roof of my mouth um, that are now just sort of scaly wow. um, yeah, so if you you could put your finger and you can feel like the scales on the roof of my mouth. Um, I also I used to eat light bulbs. Uh, I used to eat a lot of glass, and that caused a little bit of internal bleeding. Uh, I ended up stopping not because of that, but because I chipped my tooth eating a light bulb. Uh -huh. um, I was seventeen, and uh, I was at a party, and you know everyone heard, oh, you know Mercer can eat glass, so they, can you do it? And I said, yeah, sure, hand me a light bulb. And uh, the host went into his bathroom and had, he handed me this light bulb that was the size of an apple. It was huge. And normally I just take the whole, I use the candle tip one. So you can just stick the whole thing yeah. in your mouth and just crunch it. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't fit it in my mouth. So there's like 40 people watching this and I'm looking at the light bulb thinking, how am I going to crack this thing? And I think, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to slam it into my teeth. Uh, over and over again until I crack the light bulb and then I'll eat it like an apple. And uh, I, I'm slamming them gar, 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 into my face and my tooth broke before the light bulb did. And uh, so now I have a little, I got a patch job wow. right on my front tooth. <laughs> wow. Right. It's, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of mind, but I'm sure like you have this sort of reaction uh, quite often uh, where people are just kind of like, just like wow um with that and the swallowing and the 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 nailing stuff into your face uh-huh i got i gotta ask a question that i think a lot of people are probably are asking right now and i've probably asked you several times and you're probably sick of hearing it but but why 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 do why? this yeah <laughs> that's a really good question yeah it really um it it really is um because I get that question from, from, I get that question from fans, mm -hmm. from other magicians, from other performers, like, and my response is that it's, uh, it's, it's my response to the absurd. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Albert Camus. I love um, Albert he, Camus, yeah. I am a, a heavy subscriber to absurdism. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm just sort of all about anything that is surreal or absurd. Right. And uh, my existential response to to the absurdity that I see in this world is uh, is to become part of it uh, in that manner. Huh? That is that is not the the uh, the answer I was expecting. <laughs> but it, yeah, no, I. Uh, but it's definitely. I, I did one. it for pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Too many kids in my school were playing guitar, so I had to figure something else out. <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh excellent um yeah wow 
to be honest, I didn't expect any answer. That's that's the thing with that question. Like, why it's a very open-ended question, which you can apply to anything really that anyone does. You know, not to kind of delve too far into to the idea of how, how absurd this entire existence we find ourselves in. But you could ask why about anything um, and have no real sort of potent answer that is going to satisfy anyone. But yeah, I'll go with that. Anyone that can throw up absurdism and Camus, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I recognize that the answer is is somewhat of like a, a cop out. Like there's no, no, it's not like a concrete thing. Um, but when but like I... When you, when you look at what you're doing, it's not exactly concrete either. It's kind of abstract in its very nature of the, the things, the, the actual application of what it is you're doing. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and I think from the perspective of somebody that in, in the last number of years certainly has kind of become a little bit tired of the idea of certainty. It's, it's wonderful. I've talked about this with other guests in, in the past. Human beings... Um, inherently we look for patterns we look for recognition we look for recognition we look for understanding in everything and sometimes it does feel a little bit futile especially when really in a lot of cases it doesn't exist so to kind of embrace things that don't have a particular concrete or a certainty is is definitely something I'm very much on board with so oh good uh, <laughs> I'm in polite company that's wonderful excellent <clears throat> yeah um what has been your general spectrum of reactions from people? I imagine you've had quite a wide one where some people, as I say, do have their sort of wigs blown back. Some people do just don't get it at all. Some people just completely turned off by it. Um, and then some people are just really sort of pulled towards it. Is it safe to say that over the years of doing this? And particularly in the sense of performing live for people, you've had quite the varied spectrum of, of reactions. Sure. Yeah, always. I mean, I, I had, I've had, of course, there's the range. I've had people mm. who legitimately think I'm Satan or a demon. <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> yes. Do, uh, so just, I will, we'll kind of table this real quick because I kind of want to dive into that since you brought up. Do people kind of assume that there is some sort of, sort of esoteric um, practices going on here, that there is some sort of a link to occultism with yes. what you do? Really? Um, by I mean, and large, I mean, I don't make any claims in the show, um, right. but there are there is always a subset of people that is like I can't tell them that it's that I'm not associated with a cult. They already believe it, <clears throat> mm. and most of the time, like they're already convinced that I'm I'm in the group, right? And I'm just not admitting it. Right. <laughs> you, you've taken the secret handshake, but you will never claim that you have. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there, of course, some people just love it. Uh, some people just you know they can't get enough of it. Something that. I when I when I decided I wanted to be like a bizarrist instead of a sideshow performer, a right. magician, I the the thing that pushed me in that direction was was the art and was thinking of a way that I could make people want to watch somebody throw a coat hanger or uh, eat fire or nail something into my face. You know, what do I have to do to get my grandma to want to see this show? <laughs> uh really i mean like she she hates it so i was gonna <laughs> anytime ask, i can <laughs> I was, yeah i was gonna yeah. kind of get into that she hates it she hates it yeah i mean my, my mom hates it my grandma hates it um <laughs> my 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 partner she's she's tolerant for the most part uh <laughs> hey if if you can find a sense of tolerance with a partner that puts up with your, your weird um interests and behaviors that's half the battle absolutely yeah <laughs> just put up with my idiosyncrasies right um <laughs> Because, yeah, that's, it's interesting you kind of touch on that because that was going to be one of my next questions in my notes. Um, 
about just so we've, you get a quite a wide spectrum of reactions from the general public from people that encounter you as strangers that are coming to the show you know as, as you've mentioned uh some people genuinely believe that you're performing the work of the devil have you had any backlash from that by the way most of the time if people think i'm working with the devil or part right. of like a, a cult that's not like they'll just normally stay away or leave yeah. the show or it's not something that's prevalent or super common most people that make it to my show like <laughs> they right. like the show yeah so um it's 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 become less and less uh common but no no backlash i wouldn't i wouldn't say no okay but that's good that's good to know and it's good to know that you know people as you say that are coming to your show are coming there purposely because they know what yeah. the, they know somewhat <laughs> of what to expect i'm sure they don't know the full gamut of what's going to be uh, unveiled but they kind of have an idea of of the field in which you're working in and they enjoy that so that's great um but yeah dipping back into to like the reaction of people um like family and loved ones has that always been um that sort of disconnect or is this just like with because it seems like your mum was very encouraging from the beginning getting you your your S&M straight jacket and whatnot (laughs) But as you've kind of progressed further into it and kind of maybe pushed boundaries a little bit more with the work that you're doing and the art that you're creating, um, has that kind of pushed her uh, and other people a little bit further away from that sense of tolerance? Uh, so I, I would say with my mom, it was definitely a ratchet job. You know, I, mm. I had to start, like I, I mean, I started really wisely with the straight jacket, right. you know, that was pretty out there. And then I just kept, I kept ratcheting from there. I just kept getting it up there. And, you know, before you know it, I'm swallowing torches. Uh, it's a it's a slow conversion, <laughs> but really, um, no. She's always been very supportive. I think, you know, it's 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 definitely been. She's just sort of watched me, like learn these different things, and uh, and just been concerned, right? Um, and making sure I'm not hurting myself. But yeah, ultimately, the when you ask like if this is driving people away or like if, if it's creating like a distance that's exactly the thing that I I like to address in my show is mm-hmm. that yeah I mean like to to a large extent like it's 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 gross like <laughs> I mean there's just <laughs> and for some people there's no two ways about it yeah. they just think it's gross and I got a really good piece of advice from another performer this is a couple of years ago and uh, I'd done this show and uh, she came up to me and she was like you need to make it pretty uh, and from that point on like that's that's when art came first right like I I had this idea that like you know making like an artistic expression was was important but when she told me to make it pretty like that was you know there was a whole new world was opened Mm. the aesthetic and and how to make something ugly uh or gross in some ways like beautiful or worth worth watching uh, and not just for the shock. <laughs> yeah, you're not just creating like a series of rhythmic beats that are going to kind exactly. of make people sort of jar out of their seat a little bit. You're kind of adding a sort of thread through them and kind of tying them up. And as you say, making them pretty. And as you said earlier, making something that your grandma would want to see. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> Let's get into your TikTok because, like, this is as 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 interesting as the bizarre stuff is, and believe me, it is because I. I've seen little bits and pieces of this before, but there are things that you're doing that I haven't seen before. So that's clearly very much a testament to your creativity, to your willingness to kind of throw yourself really into this. But you're using TikTok in really interesting ways um, to deliver anecdotes, personal anecdotes, and to create videos 
that kind of address some of the stuff that you're doing, talk about some of the stuff that you've been doing in your live shows and whatnot, and it seems to serve as a good sort of promotional tool. But for me, and for this show, I think the, the real interesting part is you diving into a lot of weird and eclectic topics such as, and these are just a few, I'm going to list a couple that I've highlighted to give listeners <laughs> a sort of just a tiny, tiny little sliver of what you can expect when okay. you go and check out Mercer's TikTok account. Uh, so you're covering stuff as novelty caskets, space toilets, space apes, cryogenics, holy water vending machines, the Iron Sheik's disdain for Pepe Le Pew, which I must admit just generally really <laughs> made me laugh. Pyramid schemes, the history of Nintendo, including, and I had no idea about this, love hotels. Um, <laughs> the, the band This Will Destroy You, which from a personal standpoint gets major points for me because I absolutely adore that band. Um, and hostile architecture, which in itself is really interesting, but also very important, I think, for people to know about because I feel like we have all at some point encountered hostile architecture, but have, for a lot of us, didn't know what it was. So, yeah, those are just a few topics you can find. There's plenty, plenty more. Um, <laughs> but before we kind of dive into that and dissect some of those a little bit more, how did the TikTok thing start? Was that a lockdown thing? Yeah, um, it, it was more or less. I uh, So when COVID started and the, the lockdowns really... Um, started ramping up. I I had this office job um, mm-hmm. that I <laughs> I mean we parted ways. Um, that was you know push came to shove essentially uh, in that in that job and uh, we parted ways. So I was sort of in this in between and I was inside a lot. Uh, so I decided you know maybe I can make these videos. And when I started making it, when I started making the videos. I wasn't going any particular direction. I just thought I'm going to make whatever I want. And if people like it, you know, then, then they will. And that was the end of it. And it just, it's gone from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I fully um, love that model of thinking. And that's kind of basically how this show started in a very similar essence. It was like, oh, I'm just going to kind of dive into some things that I'm interested in, some things I know a little bit about, and then we'll kind of go from there. And as, as long and as selfish as it sounds, as primarily as if, if I'm interested in the content, then hopefully other people will latch onto it and be like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. It's kind of cool. Didn't know that. Um, so, yeah, look, kind of dig into to some of the, the stuff that you've been talking about there um, and how that's kind of it's because it really seems to have sort of ballooned really on TikTok for you. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. I I guess I could dig into essentially the fact that I love learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always been an avid reader. Uh, I'm somebody that can look something up on Wikipedia and realize only four hours later that I've just sort of been going <laughs> yeah. from page to page and I have the app, you know, and it, I have all the tabs open. And so that's always just how my brain has, has operated. And you know, to make a, a like a one minute video <laughs> on this thing I learned uh, just seemed like a, a perfect thing to do. So I, I started with things that I thought were interesting. Um, one of the earlier ones was the walled city of Kowloon. Um, I did a couple of spotlights on my oddities. I, I have a small collection of those. And 
um, yeah, it's it's only been kind of recently that I've decided to to really integrate like me as a as a person right into my channel. Yeah. And how's that? I take it. How's that been for you? Kind of making that jump, kind of going from a sort of external, almost macro sense, to a more micro, personal perspective. It's been wonderful. You know, I I was kind of afraid because I, I'd seen other people, you know, do something similar, and you know, they they've either like, they they get harassed or um, they regret like sharing something, mm-hmm. and you know, I was kind of I was kind of afraid of that initially. And I decided to do it anyway, just sort of slowly and selectively. And, you know, I would say it's done. I mean, it it has helped my channel and my fan base tremendously. um, But it's also given me an opportunity to like relate to people that watch my stuff and people that like care about me. Um, It gives me a totally different avenue to connect with people. Speaking of connection, what do you think has really kind of been the the material that's connected the most so far that you've seen through your TikTok? Connected. Yeah. Like what is the thing that uh, you've got most responses from, like in terms of, of material that you put out? Oh boy. Um, there have been a couple. So the sword swallowing video, that that was my second video to ever reach a million views wow. or over a million. So that was that just happened. That was crazy. Um, so you could, yeah, it, it connected with a lot of people in that way. Um, another one was definitely, you, you talked about hostile architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's a funny, that video was significant in a lot of ways. Um, it definitely connected with people <laughs> in uh, lots of different ways. It's got a bunch of views right now. It's, it's really sparked a, a, a pretty interesting debate in the comments if you take a look. When I made that video, I mean, you never know which one is going to be a huge, right. uh, a big hit and which one isn't. So, you know, I post this video and um, I got a lot more yeses. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, at the end, I asked, like, are you willing to hurt people just so you don't have to deal with them? And um, I got a surprising number of yeses. And that was that was very discouraging. Before we kind of move forward, because I, sure. I, I want to dig, in, dig into this. Um just for anybody that doesn't know, what is hostile architecture? Because I realized I kind of just barreled right over it. Hostile architecture is essentially putting things uh, or putting structures in such a way to uh, to have people avoid or not spend a lot of time in an area. So if you've ever been to like a park and you see those benches um, and they have that weird armrest like right in the middle of the bench. That's hostile architecture. Mm-hmm. That that bar is there in the middle so that people can't lay down and, and sleep on it. Um, there are like up in New York City, uh, there are heat ducts from from underground that sort of uh, come up to the surface level, uh, and they're grates. So normally, people without housing would lay on top of those heat ducts, um, but new architecture has meant that spikes are installed on those grates so that you cannot lay on them. Um, so that's, it, it is essentially, you know, the, the timers uh, on when you go to a public bathroom and you push the button and you get three seconds of water. Um, that is again, meant to discourage people from taking free water mm-hmm. um, or overusing it. So it's, it's a culmination of little things um, that sort of push what is what society considers undesirable people out right. of an area right 
there you go quick explanation i just wanted to throw that out <laughs> just in case because as i say yeah. it's and having said that if people didn't know what that was beforehand they're probably scanning their brains and thinking oh yeah i have seen that i have seen spikes underneath a a sort of overpass but they're kind of becoming more commonplace which is a tragic realization and i would imagine there's a number of people i don't want to speculate if it's a major or minor number of people that have seen these things but don't actually know what they're there for or their primary functions are as insidious as they are so um with that in mind you made this video and as you're saying you kind of posed the question um sorry what was the question you would would you uh, it was, are you willing to hurt people uh, just so you don't have to deal with them? Right. And you said that you got a surprisingly amount of yeses. Yeah. Um, I got I got a lot of yeses. I got a lot of people who defended hostile architecture on the basis that the, the people who would be otherwise taking advantage of these public services were bad people in the first place. Um, so in in the United States, there's this interesting, like, uh, piece of culture, I guess you could say, where we really, um, people's, like, morality and their wealth become mm-hmm. intertwined. Yeah. Um, so where if you're, if you don't have a lot of money, that must mean that, you know, you don't work hard, um, you don't have a job. And if you don't have a job or anything like that, you might be a drug addict or uh, mentally ill or X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. And it's all sort of tied to um, finan- you know, financial instability, not, not being able to, to take care of yourself. When in, the reality is it doesn't have anything to do no. with, ha- with how, how much money you have. And so there were, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, it was just this, this wild assumption that like, you know, I read comments that were like, well, that just, it's because all homeless people are drug addicts. And unfortunately, or, and, and you mentioned that's yeah. a US thing. I think unfortunately that's kind of ballooned out into becoming a Western view in general. Um, I can't speak of any other part of the world, but from a Western standpoint, yeah, that is like a very basic 101 assumption a lot of people have is that you see a homeless person, oh, well, they're a drug addict. They've got themselves in that predicament. They can get themselves mm-hmm. out of it. And it's just like, well, yeah. it's really not as black and white as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there. I mean, there were plenty of comments about bootstraps. I mean, right. plenty of, you know, I, I pulled myself up mm-hmm. and you can too. And, you know, other than, I think more and more people are realizing that it, it is not that simple. Mm-hmm. But there, there are a number of people, I imagine, motivated um, by the fear of it happening to them whose only real recourse is to support a system that is just barely keeping them alive. Yeah. So, and that's, I mean, to some extent, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but there's, there's also definitely a lot more um, space for, for understanding and, and perspective taking, you know, rather than, than your own immediate one. Um, is, this, is this something that you kind of wanted to dive more into? Because this seems like it, it's kind of really t- tapping into the idea of, creating content that is looking at uh, genuinely interesting and I'm not throwing that word out in the sort of very vague overused blend I can't think of another word <laughs> to use sense but generally quite interesting um, content but also that is somewhat educational even from like a social standpoint is that something you're kind of looking to do more of? Absolutely um, I mean hostile architecture meant a lot to me because I spent stents of my childhood uh, with without housing hmm. Um, 
So, you know, I spend time uh, in, a, in uh, Walmart parking lots, you know, going with my mom, going to the next place, you know, blowing into the next town. Um, so it started as something like a, it started as like a personal idea yeah. for me. But yeah, of course, I want to explore more of this phenomena. I've, I just generally, I just think it's very interesting. Um, and, and again, in, in the actual sense of the words, like the content that you create and the, the topics that you're covering, very varied and eclectic, which I can appreciate. Yeah, where, where do you see this kind of going? Do you just want to kind of continue doing more of this? Are you looking to infuse more personal stuff into these ideas as you go hmm. along with the TikTok thing? Do you have, or are you just kind of going with the flow and kind of just going with the principle of like, well, if this idea comes to me, if I find this interesting we can kind of maybe put this out there. I mean, well, TikTok started, you know, as a, a thing that I was, you know, just doing because I felt like it. And I think that's what initially made the channel so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that, you know, it was, it was purely things that I was passionate about. So that is something that I'm going to continue to do, of course. And, you know, when you ask like, what's you know on the horizon for this, for the TikTok channel, you know, TikTok has grown significantly in the last eight months, year. Um, it, I think there's now over 2 billion people on TikTok. Um, and so I think, you know, part of uh, what I do is going to be decided by like what direction it goes from here. Right. Um, obviously, I think it's going to keep growing, but I think there are some really interesting trends that are emerging Uh, from TikTok that I, you know, we haven't really seen before, you know, people before TikTok, people would go on Twitter. Like if you wanted news, like up to the minute, you know, people would think Twitter, like that's the place where you go. Um, And TikTok in in a lot of ways has given people uh, an ability to, to make videos that are up to the minute like that Um, or be able to get, you know, footage like in the middle of, you know, something happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's you know immediately accessible by millions, so I think as a, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what direction the platform takes. It's to me it's it's something of an enigma TikTok um, from a, a number of standpoints. But I spoke to uh, a social media um, psychologist a while back about it because I do find its general format interesting. The idea of short form content. Um, and the idea of, cre- I mean, it's it's since extended extended its um, time limit parameters, but at the time it was it was pretty short. I think it was like sixty seconds max, um, and that's something I've always kind of wrestled with in terms of uh, like attention span. Uh, you know, the idea of being able to create a succinct message in such a short time to create something worthwhile and substantial and I do kind of flip back and forth I mean kind of looking through your channels actually been kind of a refreshing thing for me and my views on TikTok because I'm seeing creators like yourself putting out little tidbits of stuff which hopefully people will kind of think oh that's interesting I didn't know about that and then kind of go and do some more research themselves and fold down those rabbit holes themselves Um, and so that is like for me the very positive side of it from the other side though is is like I see such a lot of frivolous content <laughs> just like and we all need it we all need Absolutely. like entertaining <laughs> fluff especially in like the, the last two years of certain uncertainty um and stress and change and difficulties but yeah it's the 
the the format is is the most interesting aspect for me like the knock-on effect um how like the the person i spoke to the social media psychologist their concern was like this generation growing up with tiktok are they going to want to read a book in like 10 years time because that's a lot longer than 60 seconds (laughs) right i um you know i think so i mean attention span i'm not a psychologist let's just put that out (laughs) Um, neither am i so yeah yeah no blowback on that for either of us and I, I I agree to some extent, you know, with the idea that attention spans are you know maybe shortening, and perhaps that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that we're running. I well, I think on the flip side, something that we're running into as we become more technologically, socially advanced, is being able to package information efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think really. <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't know if we're falling behind or we're ahead on it, but the the world itself moves so much faster. Yeah. News moves faster. Um, and so when people say, well, you know, who's going to want to read a book? Not a lot of people, um, because the world is in some ways moving too fast for that. Um, outside of, uh, outside of you know, places like universities or institutions of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think to some extent that's, a bad thing yeah um but i also think that forces uh people like me to take information and be able to put it in a format where you're like sort of maximizing information um you're giving specific pieces of information that are uh pre- that are relevant and you know you're able to like you said get somebody like started on something you know I, i'm never going to claim that the whole story is going to no. fit in 60 seconds absolutely not but i think one of the nice things is it gets somebody started on reading about and then they can get entrenched uh in something else and then hopefully uh, pass that on to to somebody else and and yeah, absolutely. so forth yeah um, it's um it, it it is interesting. It is something that I do wrestle with. Um, and you kind of touch upon like one of the motivating factors is the the world we live in. As we've all kind of found out, especially last year when everything kind of came to a standstill, is just how quickly we move from one thing to the other, and how quickly just like the pace of the world has has sort of sped up. Um, and you know, as much as people might not like it, it's happening. Um, and the best thing you can do is just kind of adapt to it as best as you personally can. I guess. Um, I want to kind of switch back over to the bizarreism element. Um, how has sure. how has the TikTok account kind of helped in that sense? Has that brought a lot more eyes to what you do personally within your shows, within your performances, but also just the, I guess, the genre, for, for lack of a, a broader term of bizarreism? Have you found more people have kind of come from what you've seen that like, it's kind of helped with that? Um, I, I don't know what I'm bringing the, uh, the genre. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can say that about, about myself, uh, but I, I can say that it's, so it's, I mean, it's done quite a bit for me um, just generally as a, as a character. Um, before I started TikTok, I had, I mean, I was doing magic in bizarreism professionally, but I had, um, I had less of an idea of, of who I was as a character or what I wanted to bring my audience and so it's it's definitely done that for me but it's also it's put a lot of it's allowed me to to play with some pretty experimental content um in some in like a rudimentary way before i i bring it on stage oh okay so, how so can you can you dive into that or is that something you those sort of cards you want to keep close to your chest at the minute 
Um, so there's a, it's, it's, so TikTok has, has since taken it down. It's on my Instagram, but, um, the original swords following video, mm -hmm. um, was where I, you basically see the whole sword and then you see me swallow it. Um, and you know, it all the way down to the hilt. So you're basically like zoomed in on the center of my face by the time I've swallowed it. Very intimate piece of camera work, I, I would say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds it. I came up with that idea because I, I liked, th I, I liked thinking about, you know, what if, I mean, people always want to film me while I'm performing. So, and I like the souvenirs. So what if I can make like a, a video souvenir um, that they can show their friends or like post on a uh, post on social media. And so I came up with this sword that you can mount your phone to. Um, and then the person just takes a video and then they have that video forever. Wow. So they actually attach their phone to it. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. So they can, um, and then they can, you know, show all their friends or, or do whatever they want mm. with it. But, you know, then it becomes like a, a piece of like, that becomes like a personal piece of personal time for them. That's interesting because then that's also in, in a weird way through technology that's them kind of being involved. I mean, they're obviously not taking the risk that you're, you're taking, you know, <laughs> you're doing the legwork here, but they yeah. are kind of becoming more immersed in it. And it's not just, I, I mean, technically it is because it's, it's a, a viewpoint and it's somewhat passive, but by having their actual phone, with a video that will stay on their phone and that they can show people, it kind of becomes a little bit more immersive and it kind of alters the dynamic of the former audience relationship, I guess. Yeah, I would, I would, I would tend to agree. So, and a souvenir, how can I say no to that? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty, it's pretty cool. That's pretty inventive. So kind of diving in into, obviously TikTok has spawned from, from lockdown and obviously with the imposures put in place, presuming you weren't able to perform as live as much last year, has this kind of situation made you kind of have to rethink how to go about doing certain things? Has it kind of put you in a, in a sort of set parameter of, of creativity where you're kind of thinking, well, I can't do live performances in front of people. So now I need to kind of look at evolving a little bit or kind of extending what I'm doing. Yeah, of course, every performer has to, has to bob and weave. Um, mm -hmm. Entertainment is one of those industries that, um, if you feel bad, you, you want to see a show to feel good. And, uh, if you feel good, you want to see a show to feel better, uh, <laughs> to, for, to, to celebrate maybe. Yeah. So, um, that's one of the great things about, about entertainment is people are always looking for it. So, um, but yeah, one of the things I ended up having to change was I developed like a, a short virtual show that I, I do for, uh, for corporate audiences. And that's been, that's been pretty popular, but as the, as the world has opened up, um, you know, I've just been working more and more uh, regularly. I like the virtual aspect of the shows, um, but performing in person is always going to be something that I, I do best. So I imagine for anybody that performs in general across the, the spectrum, that is, is like the pinnacle of, of what drives you to do what you do. But I imagine for somebody within your field who's doing the things you're doing, that's extremely so because of the sort of awe aspect of some of the stuff that you're doing like it really is amplified with a, a sort of physical that physical connection of, of having that performer audience direct relationship oh yeah absolutely um it's always better to to be it's a it's a certain level of intimacy pulling a coat hanger out of somebody's throat <laughs> you know, it's just a, yeah it's a special moment <laughs> 
yeah it's uh it's it's hard to imagine um going to a show and having a more intimate moment really than, than <laughs> yanking a coat well not yanking yeah. i mean you want to do it gently i imagine yeah it's it's not a beyblade um it's <laughs> kind of there's there's some resistance so um but another change i ended up making was so I, I nail things into my face um a nail primarily and um people used to i used to just have them grab it with their fingers and they just grab the end and then they pull it out but um now i have a uh, an extendable uh fishing rod that has a, a magnet at the end of it so then it's like a carnival game and then the, wow. the person can like yeah, they can cast this fishing <laughs> this fishing rod and then it snaps to the nail and then they get to pull it out and then I tell them it's the biggest one I've ever seen and then I'm proud of them <laughs> and, uh, and that's the trick <laughs> um oh, surely that's got to be like it's that's got to be worse in terms of removal like we talked about pain earlier like having that instead of just somebody like with their fingers physically remove it surely like that's got to be oh yeah it's uh it's not i've pleasant. never had somebody yeah i mean it's it's you know it's it's not the it's not the greatest feeling no. but it's you know it, if the fun it generates makes it worth it <laughs> is is that is that something that you kind of like tap into is is the idea that the the, the joy which presumably you're bringing i mean some people are going to as you say be inevitably grossed out but there's also as you say bringing a lot of joy and sort of um like a, a sort of lift and elevation to people's mood and demeanor by going to, to to your show and seeing these things is that something that kind of spurs you on as a performer uh, especially during those more painful aspects is that okay the reward is definitely worth the labor as it were yeah absolutely it's always uh always um i think it along with along with like this artistic expression of of doing bizarre things um is like fun like i i don't want people to go to my show and be like that guy was that guy was fucking gross <laughs> um <laughs> i don't want people to at least think that it might have been funny right um so yeah i mean it's I think, you know, I'm doing things that are, um, that are traditionally thought of as gross, but like none of the other like, like components of being gross are there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's all been replaced with, um, well, let's see if I can, I can make this into a painting or let's see if I can make this into a a funny, a funny bit or just generally make this fun. Mm -hmm. I imagine for those people that do kind of come to the show with that idea of, of like, oh, this is this is proper grim. I can't believe he's doing that. That by kind yeah. of adding these sort of coutrements, like the, the 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 carnival game aspect to it, it kind of creates somewhat of a uh, a dilution for that, and it kind of takes the edge off that immediate ooh kind of reaction, and it's just kind of as you say, interjects a sense of fun and sort of uh, playfulness to it. That does does that help? Have you noticed with some people that maybe are a little bit more resistant to the, the sort of physicality of it? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does help because then it's then it's no longer about, you know, I'm putting a nail in my face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's about this person who's going to who's going to catch a fish uh, or a nail. Right. Um, you know, and so and even for sword swallowing, it's no longer about this guy like cramming a sword in his throat or, or you know, doing whatever. Now it's about. um you know, making a, a special moment for uh, somebody with a coat hanger and, um, you know, educating people or, or showing them, you know, something is not what, what it appears to be. So a theme in a lot of the bizarre effects that I do 
um, is that it's never solely about that thing. Right. It's never about the stunt. This it's just always associated with the routine. Yeah, like thinking about it, having if I were to go to to a show and there was a sense of absurdism interjected mm-hmm. into it, a sense of playfulness, it would definitely would take the edge off it for me. You mentioned doing your virtual show for for corporate. How mm-hmm. how was that? Because that's that's got to be an interesting dynamic. Um, yeah. So a, a lot of my shows that I do are, are corporate shows. So that's that's normally like the um, the clientele that I get. Mm-hmm. So it's it might seem initially like it's kind of difficult to mesh those two yeah. things. And people think of corporate culture being like very um, very like stiff mm-hmm. or um, you know, unforgiving to, uh, to something, you know, this different. And I, you know, I think to some extent, um, that's true. However, corporations are always looking for something different, um, and something new. And on top of that, the difference is like, I don't think I would get a corporate show if, if my, if my routines were about the, the gore, the grossness of, you know, and the, the thing that, that really gets me in front of these people is, you know, they understand that it's, it's more about the art and having fun mm-hmm. um, and about entertainment than it is about like making people cringe or putting something shocking in, in front of them. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something that I really try to cultivate is, is showing that like the, that the art and fun shines through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think hopefully anybody that's coming into this completely fresh and hears about these things initially on the surface and maybe are a little bit like, well, they kind of get the impression that it's not just that, that there is a sense of artistry, there is a sense of character, um, there is a sense of, of fun um, thrown in there to, to kind of bring it all together to make it something, not just a series of, of gross, weird stunts, but there is like a show to it, you know? Absolutely. Where can people find you online and search forth? And what do you have in store for the future that might be of interest to them? Uh, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. It's all Mercer Blackwell. Um, I was lucky enough to, to snag the username before anybody else got to it. It's the same across all the platforms. And I mean, next is, is going to be shows. Um, I'm entering the college market here pretty soon. Um, and I'm going to start doing shows there. There are going to be more TikTok videos, of course, and um, you know maybe a few a few big things sprinkled in. All right, gang. So there you go. That was my conversation with the lovely, wonderful, and very, very fascinating. Mercer Blackwell, who is doing some incredible stuff, uh, things that I would never, ever, and I mean ever, even think of trying. Yeah, that man has got my utmost respect for his craft, for his dedication to what he's doing, but I also question his sanity. Just a touch. Um, yeah, genuinely, genuinely fascinating stuff that I had never really come across before. As I said, I didn't know what a bizarrist was. I didn't know what bizarrism is. 
But having that conversation with Mercer, not only did I get to know about what he's doing and his approach to his his work, which I think is fantastic. The idea of making it fun, making it an evening, making it an experience is brilliant. And it's just the kind of thing that we all need given the last two years, I think. So if you can catch a Mercer Blackwell show live, I would say absolutely go for it. I'm hoping at some point in time in the future that I will be able to catch one of his shows myself. Although I may be watching parts of it through through my fingers. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got a reasonable constitution, but I have a limit. In the meantime, if you are not able to catch one of Mercer's live shows, then please do go and check out his stuff online. I will put links to everything related to him social media-wise, especially his TikTok uh, account, channel, I don't know, what, what do you call them? Are they accounts? Are they channels? Whatever it is, his TikTok place, <laughs> his place of residence on, on the TikTok. Uh, you can find all of the stuff related to Mercer down in the show notes. You can also find all of the stuff related to Dimed Out in there as well, all of the links to our things, the YouTube page, the Facebook page, you can find the Instagram and Twitter stuff, which is basically at I am Mal Foster. So if you've got comments on this episode or previous episodes, or you want to throw suggestions for future episodes my way, those are the places to do so. If you want to support the show, if you've enjoyed this episode, and there is absolutely no reason why you wouldn't, unless, of course, you have actually been sick and now you've got that sort of acidic burn in the back of your throat and it just won't go away, and now you're kind of cursing the fact that you chose to go forward and listen to this episode in the first place. If that's happened, then, yeah, okay, maybe I kind of get why you wouldn't enjoy this one. But if it hasn't and you haven't been feeling gippy or been sick and you've enjoyed it, then you can help us out immensely by subscribing if you haven't already. And of course, if you want to go the extra mile, you can always leave us a rating and a review. Regarding the latter, it is preferable if you do it in a haiku format. I am not giving up on this. I am not giving up on the dream of haiku reviews. Just one, just one, and I'll stop going on about it. Just one haiku review, and then it's done. But until then... I am not giving up on this dream. And on that note, that about does it for this week's episode. As for next week's episode, I would tell you what it's about, but honestly, at this moment in time, I haven't a clue. I seriously don't. There is a little bit of a gap in the schedule, so yeah, you're just going to have to uh, wait and see, I guess. What I can tell you, though, is in two weeks' time, we're going to have our next guest, and it is going to be Alexis Hyde former director of my favourite museum of all time. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though, because I don't want you to know anything about it before it happens. Let's just say it is an experience, and it was an episode that I was not expecting to actually happen, but it did, amazingly, and I couldn't be happier with it. But that is in two weeks' time. As for this week, yeah, we're pretty much done. As always, look after yourselves, look after each other, and until next week with the mystery episode, keep it dimed out. Mm -hmm.